Welcome to the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and I'm super excited about today's episode as we have got a real legend of the sport of mountain biking. Truly, I am thrilled to have Susan DiMatteo on today. If we go back to when mountain biking was in its infancy, we can go back to what I call the first generation of mountain bikers. The guys fixing up old clunkers and bombing down Mount Tam. Guys like Gary Fisher, Joe Breeze, Charlie Kelly, Mike Sennard, Tom Ritchie. Once those guys started actually producing and selling this new type of bike, the mountain bike, and people started buying them and riding them, somewhere along the way somebody said, hey, I bet I can go faster than you, and mountain bike racing was born. Early racing began in the United States. The National Off-Road Bicycling Association, or NORBA, held a race series in the U.S. that was a pretty darn big deal. And those that lined up to contest these races in the 80s, I consider to be kind of the second generation of mountain bikers. The ones who really got mountain biking off the ground and helped shape it into what it is today. People like Ned Overend, John Tomac, Tinker Juarez, and Julie Furtado. These folks set the stage for the 90s when mountain biking matured. While the UCI, cycling's governing body, did host a couple of seasons with some mountain bike world cups in the 80s, it wasn't until 1990 that the very first UCI mountain bike world championships were held, which were in Durango, Colorado, uh, not Vail as I might say later. And it wasn't until the 1996 Olympics that they included mountain biking as an Olympic sport But it was in the late 80s and early 90s as mountain biking matured that people like Dave Weens and his now wife, Susan DiMattei, could actually make and earn a living at this young sport. Susan, our guest today, is in the Mountain Biking Hall of Fame. She competed in early UCI World Cup races, as well as a couple of world championships where she earned a silver medal. She also was selected to represent the U.S. at the first ever Olympic mountain bike race in Atlanta, Georgia in 1996, earning a spot on the podium and bringing home the bronze medal. I'm telling you, it was such a treat to talk with Susan. It was cool to hear stories from the early days of mountain bike racing. But I also wanted to talk to her about encouraging women to give mountain biking a try. If you listened to the episode on the International Women's Mountain Biking Day, then you may recognize a bit of this conversation, but I promise there's oh so much more. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to Susan DiMattei. Oh, what a privilege to have Susan DiMattei. Did I say that right? I'm saying that right, aren't I? You said it exactly right. Oh, awesome. I love that. Um... Gosh, welcome to Bike Talk with Dave. We've got a couple of things to talk about, um, but uh, but it's just a pleasure to have you on. So thanks tons for making time tonight. I, it is my pleasure. I haven't chatted with anybody about mountain biking for quite a while, so um, this is kind of my little feel-good moment for the day. <laughs> awesome. I love it. I love it. Um, well, gosh, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to... I don't want us to sound old, but <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to say that, like, I mean, mountain biking has evolved since we got into it in the 80s. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I think what hasn't changed is um, the looks you see on people's faces when they start doing it. Um, our, our rec center, I just saw an ad in our little local paper, for instance, has a, a, a class, um, mountain biking for adult beginners. And I don't know if they've, maybe they offered it last year, but um, I just was like, that is so cool. And due to popular demand, thank you, they had to add a second, you know, um, a second class because lots of people are, are still wanting to do it. And so that just makes me really happy. It's, it's not a fluke. Um, it's been a wonderful thing that millions of people have enjoyed and, um, feel better every day because they're doing it. Absolutely. And I know that that's an important part of, uh, your mission in life, um, getting people on bikes, no matter what kind of bikes, not just mountain bikes, but whether they're riding to work or racing or, or just enjoying the trails around Gunnison, Colorado. But, 
Um, before that, though, like, how did you start riding bikes? What what got you going? Because honestly, you and I are about the same age. You might be, I don't know, a semester or two ahead of me. Twenty nine, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yep. Again. <laughs> again. Um, but what got you started riding bikes in the first place? I, I know you were in nursing school, and mm-hmm. um, I don't know, something attracted you to the two-wheeled machine. Yeah, um, I went to school in a town kind of in central Colorado called Chico State University, and Chico actually had a kind of a highly regarded road bike team, and I had a boyfriend for a time, I guess when I had just graduated from college, maybe 23 years old, um, and I was getting into, you know, triathlon was big, and um, I liked to run, and I was finally kind of finding my sporting self. Um, I didn't really do much in high school. So um, I was going out with a guy who was uh, had a little bit of a sponsorship for a mountain biking team. So he was doing some of the races that were, um, even on the East Coast, actually, that were starting up. This was mid to late 80s. And, um, you know, so I kind of was like, well, if he's doing it, I, you know, why shouldn't I get a bike and um, do it? And... So I just kind of started doing it for fun and exercise and enjoyed it and started going to some races. And, oh, why, why should I just watch him? Why don't I enter? I think, I, I think I'm okay. And um, so just by happenstance, um, I just enjoyed it. And you're always, you know, the races were always up like at Lake Tahoe and in, in, in beautiful places, um, some would, you know, I was familiar with and, and many not. But um, it was just a great way to kind of start seeing some of even California, where I grew up, Northern California. Um, and, and ironically, I, this is how old I am. When I graduated from high school, whatever year that was, 1980, you know, mountain bikes weren't really around yet. I was in the, you know, quote, hotbed of mountain biking, um, you know, Marin County. Um, and it wasn't until I graduated from college and went back to Marin but by that time, a lot of the trails were closed. Um, yeah. So, so anyway, I liked... Those dang hoodlums of Marin County, right? Yes, yes. And, and so it was starting to be a thing. But loved road racing, did, did quite a bit of that uh, just out of college, and, and then some mountain bike races. And it just kind of snowballed to where, um, wow, I, you know, I, I'm doing okay at this, and I really, really like it. And um, started making a little money and you know, decided maybe I can give it a go. And um, so the timing was impeccable. It was a great time to get in because it just wasn't, you know, the world wasn't inundated with it yet, but the world was getting excited about it. So um, that was kind of how I, I segued and so in. so you were getting excited about it as well. I have to ask, do you keep in touch with the dude you were dating who got you into mountain biking? This is the most ironic question I've ever been asked because a day or two ago, I saw somebody on the trail who lives here who owns a bike shop. And they said, Susan, I just heard that Mike uh, passed away. And um, oh. yes, so this this guy, uh, his name was Mike Jordan. Um, and he was on like the Ross bicycle team um, for a few years and... and um, yeah, and I don't know what happened. I still can't. I, I'm not a good Googler, so it's I'm mm. I, I I you know I don't know how to find out information about it. But sadly, yes, yeah. that that's the case. But um, yeah, he and and so many people um, you know around that time of mountain biking um, were just having a cool time getting to do something completely different, um, especially if you were a woman. I have to say, you know. Um, that was kind of the interesting thing about it. Um, there were definitely a lot less women doing it, but um, boy, if you were decent, you know, it was great because a lot of the sponsors wanted to have a woman on the team and um, that, you know, behooved us. Um, yeah. So this is eighties in 88 or 89, you went to the world championships. So you got good pretty quickly, didn't you? Yeah, but again, it wasn't that hard at that time to do it. I was a I was a, a good climber and uh, you know cardiovascularly good. Um, my my descending skills, my technical skills were terrible. I, I trained ninety percent of the time on a road bike, so I could get away. Especially when those when the races used to be really mountain biking. You're climbing mm-hmm. mountains. Um, even in Europe, you, you know, you're, there was a lot of climbing and stuff, so I could get away with not being so good technically, but, but 
you know, being able to climb. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it was great. Um, all of a sudden, yes, we, we get to go to the world championships. You know, this is um, just, it, it seemed a little bit surreal at the time, but, um, but really fun. And, and I think I knew how lucky I was to get to travel to some of these places that um, I had not yet, you know, thought even that I would be going to um, in my early 20s over to Europe and stuff. And, and that was um, such, a, such a treat. It's super interesting talking to you because at that time, mountain biking was so new. Like, I'm not sure if the world championships you went to was the first for mountain biking or not, but it couldn't have been more than the third or fourth. Yeah, I think I think I just read something about this offhandedly. It might have been the second. Um, I'm talking about one that was in Spa, Belgium. And Sarah Ballantyne, my, my idol of idols, who had been doing it for a year or two prior to me, you know, and she'd done all kinds of cool things athletically. And I just, I just thought, you know, she was the be all end all uh, still. And um, she's like, yeah, come on, Susan, let's, yeah, this will be great. And, you know, we, we, we chatted during the race um, because we could uh, back then. <laughs> um, because there, especially in Europe, now that was a little bit of a, a difference, you know. In Europe, uh, there were a little more maybe traditional roles for women in cycling. Um, they they had women road racers, of course, but um, the women getting into mountain biking was just a few years behind us. But certainly by the early '90s, all those the, those women came running, and I think were pretty well embraced by sponsors and so on. So um, it was really cool to see the sport grow and to see lots of not so traditional European women jumping in. Uh, didn't you get second in that first? I think I did. In, mm -hmm. That's pretty awesome. Do you know where that medal is? Oh, God. No, but you know what? I, <laughs> you don't. No, but I think what I do have is like a few days or a week prior to that, there was a hill climb um, in Switzerland. Um, you know, we were just trying to do anything to train. And so we were looking for races that were all nearby in that region. And um, there was this wonderful like five mile hill climb up one of those really steep little teeny concrete paths that they have or, or like asphalt paths that they have through all the green hills um, in Switzerland. And um, I got to do that race as a training race. And um, the, the prize was a huge cowbell like a real cowbell. And I do have that one up on a windowsill sill somewhere um, because I just thought that was the coolest thing. <laughs> That's awesome. That is super awesome. I love that. So fast forward a couple of years to uh, the 94 Worlds at Vail. Mm. That had to be surreal. Uh, again, silver medal. Yeah. You know what? That is, I think, my. I, I really am proud of that event because that was like the height of the height um, Lots of actually really good road racing women came to that event, and every single you know really good mountain biker um, was there. And so I was super pumped. You know, it's always fun when it's in your home uh, home state. Um, by that time, I'd been in Colorado for a little while, so um, that was really fun. And there was just a great vibe about it, and the crowds were enormous um, and really vocal and and fun with you know fun to interact with and. Uh, just so inspiring. Um, so that was a really fun time. Um, and some of my family was there, which was really great. But the funny thing was one of my girlfriends was getting married in Washington State that next day. So I remember we finished the race and gave lots of hugs around. And um, and I said, you know, I got to go catch a plane because my friend's getting married. And um, so I had to leave that evening to go to that wedding, which was also really fun. But um, but it was just it was a great event for um, the Americans and um, for mountain biking. It was it was pretty big time. Yeah, for sure. And I would say that uh, you are a super good and loyal friend. <laughs> if, if that says anything, like I feel like anybody could say, like I'm at the World Championships, I'm podiumed. Um, yeah. uh, I'll send you a nice wedding gift. But you actually went. That's yeah. awesome. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the Olympics. Um, I think I mentioned, I don't remember if it was while we were recording or not, but uh, you are my first Olympic medalist that I've had on Bike Talk with Dave. So 
Uh, I am very excited. I grew up an Olympic fan, whatever the sport, whatever summer, winter, I don't care which. I love the Olympics. I always have. And it's this, um, I don't know, this fairy tale land for me. And like you're a human who was there who I'm, I get to talk to. Did you, uh, my first question would be, did you participate fully in the Olympics or did you go in and do your race and exit? Um, so first I have to say, I, I'm totally in agreement with you. I was the same way growing up, loved all things Olympics, loved seeing people just who are good at what they do, do it best under pressure and in the competition. And um, actually when I was like 14, I think, um, I love gymnastics. I still love gymnastics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, saw Nadia Comaneci. I don't know if you remember that name. Oh, yeah. And um, just thought, okay, I, I, I want to be Nadia. And um, she was my idol. And, you know, just thought, wow, Olympic dreams, so cool. And then, of course, you know, six months later, that's gone. But um, such a super privilege. Again, timing was impeccable um, for those of us who were kind of racing around that time to get to to get to have you know Olympic trials and 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 know that we were going to be doing this Olympics in the USA again, what a treat! Um, because more you know family members and people that you know can go, and um, it made it easy on us. And um, to your question about you know did we take part? We did get to you know do the opening ceremonies, and I remember seeing Katie Couric, you know a few. Um, <laughs> Uh, bleachers down from us, interviewing all the really hot track stars. Um, and this is when they had, you know, like the gold shoes and yep. um, all that kind Michael of stuff. Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson, yeah. And so that was really, you know, big eyes and, and you know, uh, super cool. We were all kind of in awe. Our little, you know, aw shucks were, you know, we're mountain bikers and we were kind of new to this. But um, opening ceremonies was wonderful and exciting and um, we, through the um, USOC, they had secured a, a wonderful house. We called it the compound. It was this very big house that um, someone owned and they donated it to the cycling athletes. So the road cyclists and the mountain bikers um, got to stay in these few different buildings that were on this wonderful property. Um, so we were, you know, one way that was fantastic because we had privacy and it was quiet and it was calm and all that. But but we weren't in the Olympic Village, which yeah. I understand, you know, is kind of a cool thing too. Um, yep. And then on the other side, you know, I was whatever I was, 32 or 33. Um, and so I was a little older. And so I I was fine with it. You know what I mean? I wasn't trading pins and things like that and, that some of the kids do. Um, so for me, it was a re really nice setup. Uh, they, I, I felt so taken care of, and they were just so kind uh, and helpful. And um, they let us come to, I think I was in Alabama for a week or two before the race to get acclimated to the heat and the humidity. And, you know, and anything they could do to help us was, was so nice. Um, so, yeah, that was all, um, it was kind of like you're saying, it was kind of surreal to me, too, um, to actually be there. Um, but... Um, it was very exciting and um, you know, you just, you, you can't help but have great feelings when um, you know, you, you didn't even know that this was going to be in existence when you started doing the sport. That wasn't, you know, the reason anybody got into it at that time. Um, it was just this happenstance thing that you went, Oh my gosh, we have a shot at this, you know? So that, that kind of made it really fun too. Uh, it, it's kind of amazing to look back and think like that was the first time mountain biking was included in the Olympics. Yeah. And it's almost like, really? Yeah. <laughs> like it's been around forever, right? Nope. 96. Yeah. Like that's kind of mind blowing that that was the first, first Olympics. But it reminds me of like where gravel might be now. You know, I, I look at a new sport progressing and it's right. just like mountain biking was doing in the eighties and nineties. It was trying to figure itself out and going through growing pains and, and like you were right there, like in those growing pains and, and helping it grow and gosh, uh, bronze medal at the Olympics. Let me, do you know where that is? 
I do. It's in a drawer uh, up in my bedroom in my little desk That's drawer. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Not the sock drawer. <laughs> no, there's a few little odds and ends in there with it, but not the sock drawer. Uh, that's awesome. I love that. I love that so much. Um, so I got to ask, what have you been doing since then? I know that you went to nursing school and you still work in the medical industry. I do. Yep. I, I had, when I started mountain biking, like kind of for real, um, I had already had my degree. And so I was working as a nurse. And then as mountain biking came more into the picture, you know, and I was able to actually make a living out of it uh, and enjoyed it and had to travel a lot, um, nursing segued out. And so I was out of that, I, I raced for about 10 years. And then uh, Dave and I got married in 96, a few months after um, Atlanta. And then I did a little like mountain biking stuff with you know, some uh, little productions that were happening and, and whatnot. But, um, but I wanted to get back to nursing. I, I like nursing. And um, so we have a little hospital here in Gunnison that I worked at um, for a long time. Now I work in the surgery department. Um, and before I went back there, um, had kids. Um, so we have twins and a, um, an older brother. Um, so we've had, a, you know, we've had a great life here. And it's been so nice to continue to, you know, I love mountain biking. I love um, still keeping in touch with lots of the people that I raced with a long time ago and hearing about them, even if I don't get to see them that often. Um, but still love the sport and, and still love, um, you know, kind of my other passion. I love, I'm, I'm interested in, in medicine and things like that. And so um, I feel like I've gotten the best of both worlds. And, and I felt really lucky that I could segue back um, because I think it's hard for some people, you know, if you're doing a sport, um, there, there's so many... So so many years of livelihood, maybe, and um, you know, once that kind of stops, I think it could be tough uh, for people to, you know, find another passion or purpose or um, keep themselves interested and engaged. And I felt lucky that you know I've been able to do that. So, out of all that, I have a question, and that is: so was Dave like smitten with his Olympic medalist that he just met, and? <laughs> it's all, all, all starry-eyed when you came home with the medal. Oh well, the cool of the coolest thing was that Dave was coulda, shoulda, woulda. Um, Dave had a rocky year in '96 as far as his results went, but he was the, he was the so good, um, and and for a lot of years after that too. So you know, disappointment. Even though he was such a champ about you know not making the team, there was only two two men and two women. And um, because he had a little bit of experience with trail building and he, he was interested in a lot of those logistical type things, um, he was asked to help design the course and work on it. So, oh. you know, like six or eight weeks before the actual Olympics, he was out in Atlanta um, working with some other people um, from Vail and, the, you know, the cycling, uh, USA Cycling and so on, um, get prepping the course, which was on an equestrian, it was on the equestrian um, whatever, um, area where they're, yes, yes. Where they're the, the grounds for those equestrian events. So, um, they fashioned, um, a really good course given the terrain that they had to work with. And, um, it was so awesome because, um, he, they were getting around in a little golf cart and they were kind of following the race as it went. And of course, because they, they built it, he and a few other people who were in this golf court we're going to all the different spots where we were going to be coming through. And every once in a while I'd see his little cap or I'd hear him or say something. And, um, it was so great that he could be there and cheer everybody on. And, um, and then, yeah, you know, nothing like literally coming over the finish line and, and there he was, um, first person I could greet. And, um, it, it was pretty, pretty fairy tale. Um, and what, you know, just so, um, so nice. You know, it just was, it was really a nice event and, and I was super stoked, um, obviously, but you know, at the same time, my, um, my teammate on the Olympic team, Julie Furtado, you know, she's, she's the greatest. She's, um, I, I can't say enough about her talent. She was unbelievable, um, in every p discipline of, of mountain biking and, um, 
so consistent, except when it came to some of those, you know, end of the year races. She she just just won, won everything all year long, and then tended to fade a little bit. And and I think um, she was she was also having, um, I believe it was her lupus diagnosis. Um, you know, maybe starting to show up around that time. So that was the only kind of, uh, um, cause Julie, you know, she was, uh, the, the gal, um, but she was gracious and sweet. And, um, you know, we, we still had a good, a few good laughs just before we got on the line and, and, um, it was fun to, you know, have her there as a teammate. Yeah. Gosh, you're all, uh, I don't want to, uh, use that word too much, but you're all legends. Like I grew up watching all of you and, uh, that's, yeah, that's just awesome. Uh, Kat Nash was in that race, Katarina Nash. And I know her from cyclocross. She's still, she's still, you know, racing. She's a a little bit younger than a beast. She is a beast. She is a beast and like still competitive. Yes. Um, Amazing. She's amazing. But she was in the 96 Olympics. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I know. I remember. And I think she even started excelling. I mean, there were a few people in that race who were still racing, you like five years ago, Gunrita Dahl, who who came in just behind me in 96. Um, She's unreal racer for a long time. Um, So yeah, it's, it's been, I don't, I don't keep up a ton on the, on the latest. um, But um, you know, I know, I, I see and I, and I hear and I'm interested in, in kind of knowing who's doing what and um, keeping track a little bit. Uh, and it's fun to see because these girls, um, Kate Courtney and Georgia mm-hmm. Gould, that was a few years ago now, but, um, you know, a bunch of them who are just, um, they're technically so fun to watch and um, j- beautiful at what they do. And it's, it's really cool how the, the progression of, all the riders, for sure, um, and and even the equipment. You know, it's it's. Um, I, I I laugh, you know, when you think about um, some of the equipment that right we started on. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Back then, but but at the same time, you know, I think those of us who love to ride. Somebody at work just asked me, "Hey Susan, what do you recommend for bikes?" You know, and I don't know. I don't. I'm I'm lucky enough to get secondhand stuff from Dave or some of his you know um, people that he's with and. So all I know is if it rolls, I'll ride it. If it has brakes, I'll ride it. And and I'm not really fussy like that, but I just like to know that um, it's going to roll for me for you know an hour or two. And um, it's just amazing some of the stuff they have now and what they can do with it. It's fun to see, but um, basically still a bike. It is still a bike. Two wheels, <laughs> two pedals, handlebars, brakes. Yeah. Hopefully brakes. Hopefully brakes. Uh, do you remember what bike you rode in the Olympics? I did. I had my diamond back. Um, it was a titanium bike. It had, uh, I did have suspension because when, when, whenever that was, we started getting suspension in 90, 91. Um, and I don't have it here. It's actually um, in the Bay Area, in Marin County, um, or no, in Davis, California. There's kind of, there's like a cycling hall of fame type place and they have mementos of, of different people's jerseys and bikes and stuff like that. And, um, it's, it's there, but my old bike that was like a twin to it, um, that was my training, not racing bike, but they were built up the same that has lived in my dad, uh, and stepmom's um, base, um, garage for 30 years so that when I go home to the Bay area, I take it out. It has bar ends still. It has the same like Manitou fork. Um, it, it's it, it's like urine yellow color. It's hilarious, and I don't care. I just the thing rolls, and I don't have to pack it up when I go, and it's great. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, tires still crusty, or can no, you get new tires put yeah, on it? No, I'm not gonna lie. I finally two years ago put one new tire, I think, and otherwise it's the same. You know, um, yeah, with um, none of this, um, you know, stands or anything. I mean, they're they're old tubes, right, and right. yeah. Um, so it's you gotta love it. I just, um, yeah, I still love uh, just getting on any bike and and be able to cruise around wherever I'm at. But um, they are definitely a little more, a little more built for speed these days. Boy, oh boy. Do you ever watch the World Cups? I, I see little bits here and there, yeah. 
I, I Would know. you even do that course at full <laughs> no, speed? I know. I know. It's so great. No, but that's what's so cool um, is just seeing that progression of people. You know, these, these kids that I know, little kids, you know them too, they didn't have striders even when my boys were growing up 20-odd mm -hmm. years ago. Um, but now these kids are, are getting and getting really proficient at mountain bikes um, and mountain biking when they're literally five years old. And so their center of gravity is really low. They have no fear. They're super comfortable on their bike. And their parents are really good riders. And they've, they're always taking them on vacation here and there. And they're, they're, So they're just really, really good at a really young age. Whereas you and I or anybody else around there, you know, I rode a, whatever it was, like a Raleigh 10-speed, you know, to and from school or something. But um, it, it's just such a different thing, I, I, I'm assuming growing up with, you know, and, and having those skills from a really young age, instead of learning them, you know, when you're older than 20, I was, you know, whatever, 22, maybe when I got on a mountain bike. So, um, yeah, th these people are, it's so, the men and women both are such beautiful bike handlers. It's, it's true, like poetry, watching them. hundred uh, percent agree. hundred yeah. percent agree. Yeah. Uh, and the technology is like, it does help it along, but it's, I mean, that's not everything. Yeah. Still oh no. You, hear the dang thing. You do. And, and, and these people are, they're so darn fit. And as you were mentioning earlier, um, you know, like you mentioned gravel or whatever, I do remember a lot of the fun that I had and that I think some other people that I raced with had, because a lot of people came over from the road to mountain biking. Mm -hmm. um, they thought it was, you know, more fruitful, maybe a little more fun. Uh, they thought they were going to come over and maybe kick booty um, because they didn't think mountain bikers were fit. Um, and that was really fun to do stage races and things with them. I loved road racing. And, and so a lot of the mountain biking women and men um, did a lot of stage races and, and road races. And it was the best training ever, um, you know, except it wasn't super technical. So um, I, I see the overlap. Like um, I think the guy's name, is it Tom Piddick? Pidcock? Pidcock. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who, won, who won a medal, the gold, I think. And he just won a, a World Cup, I think, again, uh, this last week, maybe in Italy or something. Yep. But, um, you know, he came, I think, from the road and or cyclocross. And boy, oh boy, the, he's not winning those races um, without knowing how to handle a bike. I mean, seriously. So, so something's going, you know what I mean? It, it's really yep. cool. I, I, that's, I, I guess, a point of pride is that um, I feel like um, mountain bikers started getting the recognition for, you know, you, it's not just handling the bike. You have to be fit as a fiddle. And now they're, they're teetering so much on the edge of both of those things. You, you, you can't win unless you are really fast and strong and a really good bike handler. So um, the races are exciting and um, cool to watch. They are exciting and cool to watch. <laughs> Super exciting and cool to watch. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Pidcock has, he's got a gold medal or two. Yeah. Oh. In, in a whole yeah. bunch of things. Yeah. Yeah. He's an amazing athlete. A lot of those people are, they do so many different things. Like even, um, uh, you know, watching the, uh, gravel thing unfold and this lifetime series, which includes Leadville, which is, I always said about Leadville, I did it, I've done it five times. And so I feel like I kind of know it. Oh, sure. Um, I'm not like Joe expert or anything, but I always told people like, it's a lot of gravel. It's, there's a lot of road racing. Yeah. But there's, I don't know, 5% mountain biking and that 5% will take you out. Like you have to be able to do that 5%. Right. Because otherwise you shouldn't do the whole thing. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, and these people are doing, you know, the 200 mile unbound was two days ago. Yes. Um, and then Schwamigan, which is 41 miles and Leadville, which is a hundred. And they're good at all of it. Yeah. It's amazing. They're good at all of it. And then they show up and do a 45 minute cyclocross race in the fall. And right. then they do the five day stage race in the Redlands and they're good at all of it. And it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Like these, these guys are good at everything. Yeah. And I think, you know, most of the people I think way back when had trainers, myself included. Um, but I, I think that training too has evolved probably quite a bit, especially with, 
you know, power wattage meters. I, I remember I got to trial one of those in 96 when they were just coming out and um, they were, well, they weighed a ton and, um, but it was interesting information. And now you can get a power meter on your bike, super easy, they're not that expensive. Almost, you know, lots of people have them and they were an anomaly, you know, back then. Um, but between heart rate monitors and all the cool stuff that you can do, um, you, it's not out of the question to be really good at cross for an hour and then maybe, you know, do a five hour Leadville or something or a six hour Leadville. Um, if you, t you know what I mean? If you're, if you're savvy with your training and your rest yep. time and, and your cycles and all that. So, um, that that's really come along too. I'm sure the, the whole training aspect of it. Yep. Um, I just for the record, I never did a five hour lead bill. <laughs> no, I don't think anyone has yet. That, that was a misstep no. on my oh, part, but yeah, oh. yeah. I mean, just just. I, the I haven't even done a six-hour lead bill, so just to be clear. <laughs> yeah, well, not not many people have. So, but but you know, the times keep going down with all that stuff. As oh yeah, good. absolutely. Yeah. I talked to Rose Grant last uh, summer, and she's won Leadville twice, and she was in the six. She was close to seven hours. Yeah. And I was like, Rose, that that was like the winning time. Yes. Back in the early OOs, right? Yeah. Like Dave I'm... and Lance are the first to break seven hours. Yeah. And I don't remember what year that was, but, uh, and now the women are like right there and almost breaking seven hours. If not already, I'd have to look, but yeah, it, it, it's amazing what people are doing today for sure. For no. sure. Um, although I have heard that the power line is not what it once was. Have you heard this? Do you know this? No, I just remember, you know, hearing Dave talk about it's such a grind of a climb. And I think I got to cheer there maybe at one time. Um, and I think uh, aren't like 99.9% .9 of the people walking it. It's really hard to oh, make, isn't gotcha. it? Oh, gotcha. Isn't it hard to make? Oh, until... <laughs> Until your husband and Mr. Armstrong began that climb, I don't remember what year, no one had ridden it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know and that. And there's a story about that, but Dave and I are doing a, uh, a conversation here whenever we get it uh, scheduled, and I want to talk to him about that very moment when <laughs> Powerline became rideable. Ah, uh, yeah. But, um, but it was super rutted out. It was super oh. deep ruts, and now it's kind of gravel road. Okay. So that the, I mean, it's for the power, it's power line access. So, I, I mean, that's all fair. It wasn't done to make the race faster, but okay. I think, uh, I think the power line is not what it used to be, but that's still yeah. three minutes, not 30. Right. <laughs> um, so I do want to talk about, uh, I don't know, access to mountain biking. I want to talk about women mountain biking. And the context of this is our local IMBA chapter, the Central Iowa Trail Association, recently hosted a women's mountain bike ride. It wasn't a clinic. It was just get together and go mm -hmm. for a ride on a Sunday afternoon, Saturday, af Sunday afternoon. And um, gosh, 30 people showed up. Oh, and it was awesome. Yeah. And they went for a ride and they felt some cohesion and felt some community and some people met and exchanged phone numbers. And it was, it was awesome. But I don't know, I'm a guy. And so I, I don't have the same perspective as a woman, especially a woman who's, um, uh, ridden since the eighties. But like, what does mountain biking where do mountain biking and women fit together? Like how, what's your experience with women and mountain biking? Um, I, I never tire of this because I, I feel like for me, uh, um, being self-conscious and not a lot of self-confidence, uh, when I started getting into that sport and, um, the growth I had, uh, in becoming confident and not so self-conscious doing that. And in tandem with, you know, these people that I was meeting, these women who were obviously, um, you know, pretty independent and they were go-getters and they were adventurous and, um, they were welcoming and, um, 
they love to laugh and have fun and be self-deprecating and um, mountain biking was a thing, but it wasn't the only thing. And so for me, it, I mean, it, not to be like hyperbolic, um, but it kind of saved my life. You know, it, it, it made my life. Um, it, it brought me a ton of new people, a ton of new sights, um, a, a strength of, you know, knowing the strength of my body and my, my mind um, and a focus and um, a great camaraderie with women. And I hadn't done, I think I mentioned, I hadn't done sports in high school or anything, even though my brothers and sisters did, and I saw the cool things they were doing, but I was too self-conscious to um, you know, go out for any teams or anything. So I, I, can't, I was a late bloomer, I guess. And um, having done that, and then when I stopped mountain biking and, and was here in Gunnison full time, um, we would have Wednesday night rides with myself and another gal in town here started them. And we did the same thing. We would have a bunch of gals of all different levels come. And some of them would call beforehand and say, I don't know if I should go. I'm, you know, I've, I've never really ridden before. I only have tennis shoes and I have this. It does not matter. No one cares. And I, I actually liked being in the back and, and just helping these people because there's nothing... Um, as good as seeing, it's like when you're with your kids and you're kind of helping them through a situation and, and the smile that breaks out when you see what they do and then when they see what they do, um, that, that's the best feeling in the world. Uh, and I still um, you know, get a little bit over the top when, I, when I'm seeing people, and, and especially women, who you know, or might be a little more timid, or you know, it's not really their thing. They're not familiar with it. It's it's too you know machine-like. And um, I'm saying, no. If I could do it, <laughs> I promise you, you can do it. Um, so I, I'm big on what it does for women and what it has done and and what it continues to do. Um, yeah, I, I just love that part of it. And I've seen over 30 years of. Uh, you know, women really um, finding the fun in themselves um, and and enjoying something new that you can do by yourself. You could, it's you know, um, it's the best social thing in the world. Um, it's a great way to see places, and especially in this day and age, um, I don't know. It, it's a great unwind, and um, I. I I think it's a wonderful coping mechanism uh, in addition to everything else it does for you um, as far as your self-confidence and, and relieving stress and um, just being in nature. Um, that Those are all super important things and, and I feel like that sport does all of that just to the nth degree. Uh, you answered five questions right there. That's <laughs> awesome. I love that. Um, who... Were there women who were influential to you as you were getting into the sport? I, I mentioned Sarah Ballantyne. Um, she mm -hmm. was kind of the queen. Um, she'd been doing it, you know, for a, a few years before I came in, and um, she would pretty much sweep everything. But she had just a great attitude, and um, she just loved to laugh and was very inclusive. And, um, you know, it was competitive, but it wasn't – um, you know, mean competitive. It it was a it was a healthy competitive of, you know, she'd say, you know, Susan, God, that was awesome. You did so great. You pulled away from me there, and and I'd say, well, Sarah, awesome because you dropped me on that on that descent like a rock. And um, <laughs> you know, we we just we had fun, and I think we made each other better. Um, Jackie Phelan, who has been around even longer than us, um, she's still. Um, I'm still in contact with her, and um, just the most unique, interesting, um, very talented, very talented writer still um, to this day. She still writes a lot. Um, she was also really cool um, because she was super low-key, um, loved to travel, uh, loved liked the racing, but she loved the experience and the culture of if we were in Hungary, for instance, she was on a, uh, we had a World Cup in Hungary one year, and she was there, and she wasn't with our little Diamondback clan, but, um, you know, she, we met up, and uh, we went to a flea market in Hungary. You know, like, I wouldn't have thought to do that, 
Um, but what a great thing to do. It was awesome. And, and you know, she would bring things home from this flea market um, just because she could. So um, she was a, a wonderful influence and also very vocal for, you know, women's pay, equal pay and equal, you know, she wanted to race as long as the men. She wanted to be paid the same. Um, she wanted just, yeah, all the same attention and just, just a lot of equality type things that uh, I don't think had really been talked about a ton or, or some of the other women weren't really pressing for. So um, she's, she's fantastic. Uh, in a lot of, and, and, you know, was, um, like right there when Norba first started, that was a big national off-road bicycle association. That, that was the thing, um, when, when we were racing, um, the biggest thing. So, um, yeah, she, she definitely has left a stamp. Um, and then, you know, so many of the racers, um, that I knew, especially from Colorado who were just super fun gals, um, loved life loved socializing um, and you know they love competition but um, at the end of the day we, we like to get together and um, you know cheer on the guys during their race and and then go out and have dinner and just have a nice time um, and of course Julie uh, I, w I was always been in awe of her prowess um, she just uh, she was like the best athlete I had ever seen in action and um, so it was really cool to um, be racing with her and, and sometimes, you know, on the off occasion, um, come in ahead of her. You know, that was, that was like, that, that's it, I'm, I'm done. Uh, it was a great day and um, my year's been made. And, you know, yeah, it was probably because Julie was sick or something. But, um, but anyway, um, yeah, had, had just some uh, great uh, friends and, and people who um, made it such a, a treat to go to the races all the time. Um, the, the racing part was fun, but the people, um, men and women, were um, super fun too, getting, getting to know the different, you know, we got to, to uh, even in Gunnison, um, Dave had a house here when I first moved here, and, and people from the Italian Diamondback squad, men and women, would come, and they would stay at our little house. And, um, you know, one of them cooked um, Alfredo one night for us. And, you know, just like, just those kind of things that made it um, super interesting and um, added to the whole feel of, of uh, that time and that culture. The word, I feel like when you would pin a number on, that's one thing. Like, we're out to break each other's legs, right? I probably shouldn't say that in this household. Don't, don't tell Dave I said that, okay? <laughs> um, uh, he was walking, though, wasn't he? I did just see him walk away from the computer, so yeah, yeah. he must be doing okay. Yeah. Um, that's another story. Uh, so you pin a number on, that's one thing. But outside of the, after the finish line, it was welcoming. I'm hearing the word welcoming. It was a welcoming environment. They welcomed oh. you in and, uh, and helped you develop the confidence that you did through the sport. Yes, very much. Yeah. What would you recommend to women to encourage and welcome other women into the sport? Uh, I would pass on um, definitely... Uh, don't wait another day. Um, go out, start reasonably, um, which usually means with you know somebody who's a more experienced rider, but somebody who's not going to take you on something that's going to scare you or intimidate you. Um, and then do it again the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and you're going to see so much progress so quickly and you're gonna feel really good, um, and your confidence is gonna grow so quickly, um, and have fun with that. Um, and, you know, yes, you're gonna work hard um, on those climbs or on those rocky sections or whatever, um, but then you, you get your reward. You know, you get re your reward of coasting through fun terrain, and um, that's, I don't, I don't care how slow or fast you are, I'm not fast on that stuff, but it's still, I mean, that's, that's the best part. You know, I did all the hard stuff. Now I get the fun stuff. And um, so that's uh, self-fulfilling uh, right there. Um, and, 
and then you know branch out, find as many people as you can of different abilities, and and just try different things within reason, um, to get yourself out there as much as you can because the rewards really are quick. You you do catch on really quickly, um, and um, yeah, you're gonna get a few scrapes. But um, but that's okay. <laughs> that, it is. Yeah, that, that's is. totally part of it. Um, but I I can't emphasize enough. Yeah, it's it really is just getting out there consistently. And in this day and age, um, this is kind of always a thing for me. Um, you know, you're talking about Unbound and Leadville and all these really long things. And I, I live in Colorado here, where you know everybody is an athlete and everybody does everything to the hilt. Um, but it's, it's, it's okay. Um, if you know, you, you ride for 45 minutes or 30 minutes, every ride does not need to be, you know, four and a half hour, um, you know, uh, suffer fest. Um, because I do think sometimes that's, that's how that, that can scare people off too. Um, so even if you only have a quick 30 minutes, you know, after work or before work or whatever, um, just go out, just go out for a little bit. And um, make it make it attainable, make it doable, so that um, you don't have excuses to not do it. Um, if, if, you know, make sure you have good good comfortable clothes and good shorts, so that when you are on your bike, you're comfortable and you don't come back going, "Oh gosh, that felt terrible." Um, all those little things to ensure that each of those um, times that you're on the bike is going to be one that you come back with, you know, a big fat smile on your face. Because um, mm -hmm. it was fun and it kind of kind of gave you the chills a little bit because you're a little for, a little afraid and those little afraid times are, are what you know all of us are kind of like ooh that that's kind of fun and it absolutely <laughs> does put a smile on your face I love it yeah so I I have one more kind of question um, I'm a guy a ton of guys mountain bike right like I don't know is it ten to one. 10 to 2, mountain bike, uh, male versus female. I don't know. But there's a. it seems like there's a lot more guys than girls who ride mountain bikes mm -hmm. on a regular basis. So I don't just want to be part of the problem and be part of the intimidation. I want to be a part of the solution. And I know a lot of other guys do too. What do you think guys can do to help encourage or get rid of that intimidation factor that we all feel, feel going into a new environment, whatever that new environment might be. But um, for a, a young woman to dive into mountain biking that's full of all these alpha males puff <laughs> out their chest could be super intimidating. Yes. Uh, what can we do as guys to help facilitate people entering the sport and encouraging them along? Uh, what a nice question, first of all. Um, just what I was talking about, I think, is guys sometimes don't realize that what they think might be an easy little ride is, is intimidating and it isn't an easy little ride for somebody who hasn't done it before. So, you know, finding a truly, truly kind of flat, um, safe, not super sandy area for somebody to do some riding on that has a few turns and this and that. So really, truly starting beginner, let them get used to, you know, help somebody understand shifting. Why do you want to be in this gear before you get to this hill? Why do you want to be in this gear um, when you see there's an obstacle coming? Um, you know, just, just the basics. Um, they didn't even have um, uh, dropper posts and stuff you know, way back when, but now you're, you're shifting, you're braking, it's a dropper post. It's, do I want to lock my bike out? I mean, there's a few things going on that could be going on, but, but get used to the very, very basics first, even if that means flat pedals, um, so that you can get your foot off quickly. And, you know, if you're trying something and you fall over. Um, so I think for, for males, and I think this is the number one reason a lot of people kind of shy away from mountain biking is because the prototypical, got taken on a ride by my husband or my boyfriend and it totally turned me off. It wasn't fun at all. It was total death march. And, um, I get it. I mean, Dave's dragged me on some things where I'm like, Oh, I'm going to kill him. Um, because you know, to him, it's like, it's not that big of a deal. And I'm like, are you kidding? I'm dying. Um, so it's just understanding that 
truly giving a person the chance to get the basics down and then slowly introducing the slightly more difficult things so that they can feel a progression um, without being scared. If, if people are paying attention to that, um, I think that's, that's a great way to start. What's your dream? I just think there's so much room for bikes in the world. They make so much sense. And now we're coming back to this, you know, our poor climate. Um, well, you know, I'm lucky enough to live in a place where I literally every day I ride my bike to work. I happen to live four blocks away. You know, not everybody can do that. I'm super lucky. Um, or I can do errands on my bike or, um, you know, now there's e-bikes and people are maybe commuting a little bit more. I just, I love, I love the utilitarian use of bikes. I love the exercise for bikes. I love the mental health factors for bikes, the socialization that bikes bring. Um, so I, I just, I don't see a downside. Um, they help you become a little more technically proficient. You know, like I couldn't change a tire before um, or, or lube my chain or whatever. And you know, like these teeny little thing, these little teeny victories um, that help you feel good about your day. Um, I, I see when, when, you know, our kids riding their bikes to school. I mean, that's a little bit of a thing of the past, um, I think, which is, I, I, it just, that's really sad to me. Um, I would love to see a resurgence of that for a lot of different reasons. Um, so I just think there's such a bonding thing um, about bikes. And, and again, it can, it can get, you know, where someone has a literally $10,000 bike and this beautiful kit and, you know, all that. But um, that's, that doesn't matter. Um, to me, that doesn't matter. Um, as long as the person is deriving pleasure and satisfaction and, um, you know, uh, whatever, whatever they're intending to do on the bike, doing an errand, um, they're getting it done in that way. So um, I just think they're a beautiful thing for the planet. Um, <laughs> you know, and travel wise and, um, you know, bike packing, all, all these cool things that you can do that really immerse yourself kind of in the here and now. Um, and, and from what I understand, at least from what I'm hearing from my own kids and seeing, you know, wow, the here and now is, um, it's harder and harder to come by. Um, but I, it does, and you know this, it puts you so much in the present. You have to be in the present. Um, when you're trying to stay upright. And that's a really healthy um, thing. And so kids, older people, you know, of course, of course, women. Um, and, and real quick, I have to say, I think I saw or read a statistic about the number of bike sales. And I bet this could be found out um, by, by Googling or something. But um, that the bikes are sold, I think, to close to 50% women. Now, that wow. said, that doesn't mean they're riding them with the consistency maybe that some of the men are. Maybe, maybe not. I live in an area where I see ton of women mountain bikers constantly. Um, mountain town, you know, whatever, that, that has more to do with it probably. But um, sure, my hope is that over the next, you know, whatever, 10 or 20 years, those numbers would uh, even out and... Um, you know, it's not a female mountain biker. It's just a mountain biker that we saw. Um, you know what I mean? That's a worthy dream. <laughs> I think we could all dream that dream. So I'm, I'm in. I'm yeah. in. I raised my hand. Yep, for sure. Well, Susan, what a treat to have you on. I'm so glad we could work it out and uh, that you agreed to be part of the I don't know. Did you feel obligated to be a part when I said it was the IMBA Women's Mountain Bike Day? Absolutely not. I mean, privileged, truly. <laughs> oh, really. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much. And thank you for showing interest um, that, that definitely seems authentic in, in um, getting women on board um, because it is, it, it's such a beautiful thing. I, just from my own experience and, and what I've seen with other women, and, and I mean, they literally... Um, say that getting into mountain biking really helped them, really um, helped them overcome different things. And, um, you know, that's, it's, it's a coping mechanism, I guess, is what it ends up being, but it's a really healthy one. And um, 
So I just, I think it's really important that women, whatever their thing is, it might not be mountain biking, but, but once you do find that and you find the camaraderie that I think does exist, um, and, and, and just like you, you're, you're obviously a very um, accepting and inclusive um, cyclist with regard to men, women, whoever. Uh, and I think that it, that's a really beautiful uh, thing about our sport. And I've always felt that, that um, all the, the men I've ever raced with or been around at races and stuff, um, they're very congratulatory and, and supportive and helpful and, um, you know, like proud. And that's really cool to see. And uh, I don't think that happens in every single sport equally. No, you might be right. Yeah. And I feel like mountain biking specifically is a very, very grounded yeah. type of activity. So there might be the personalities and the sport yeah. mesh in some way. But yeah. anyway, I I, uh, I should let you go. But on, honestly, it's a privilege. The reason I asked if it was an obligation is because if people don't know this, because uh, your husband, Dave, is the... Is he chairman of the board? Is that what his role is? He's, he's of, uh, I, guess, I guess what they call executive director. He's executive director, okay. Yeah. Of the uh, International Mountain Bike Association, IMBA. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, I don't know. That's, that's a, a good connection right then and there. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And I'm excited to talk to Dave about IMBA because I know IMBA has... Uh, had its ups and downs over the years, and it sounds like it's on an upswing, and I love that. Imba's a, Imba had a lot, lot, lot to do with our having mountain bike trails in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, Great. We worked with the uh, trail care crew several times. They worked uh, with our county, with our city, and we were able to secure one little seven-mile-long trail 25 years ago. Wow. And now there's probably, I don't know, 35 miles of mountain bike trails inside the city limits of Des Moines. That's so awesome. Uh, and, yeah. and more beyond. So uh, we have Imba to thank for the support and advice and everything. But anyway. Yeah. Well, that's good. Uh -oh. I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because, yes, they've been around for a long time. And, um, you know, they seem very keen on um, inclusivity and um, accessibility. Uh, and I, I just love that because, um, not everybody is lucky enough to, you know, maybe as you and I have, you know, start mountain biking at whatever age and, and do it recreationally. You know, there, there's, there's costs to, to getting involved with it. And, um, you know, I think right now they're really keen on trying to get as many people of as many backgrounds as possible. And if there's trails in cities, you know, making it so much more accessible, um, that, that's a huge thing. So, um, yes, I'm sure you guys will have a good conversation and um, they're a good group. Yeah, absolutely. Susan DiMattei, thank you tons and tons for coming on Bike Talk with Dave. It's a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, it's been a couple of years since we chatted last. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much for having me and um, maybe we'll see you on the trails one day. I would love that. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bike Talk with Dave with Mountain Biking Hall of Famer, Susan DiMattei. What a treat to have her on. I really hope you enjoyed her as much as I did. I'd like to thank Chain and Spoke for supporting the show and you are welcome to as well. I'd love it if you would rate and review on your favorite podcast platform and give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook. When you do, it really helps the show's audience Statistically, we have grown to be among the top 10% of podcasts based on downloads. And that is a big thanks to all of you for listening and sharing. Now, if you really love the show and you want to see it continue, feel free to support the show financially. Just look for Bike Talk with Dave at buymeacoffee.com. And when you do, I'll send you a sticker. I really appreciate all of you who've supported the show thus far. I can't thank Larry Burgart enough for his continued support. I've got a special treat for him when I see him in late July on Ragbri. I also have to thank BikeIowa.com for being the online host of Bike Talk with Dave. 
BikeIowa.com has one of the most extensive lists of cycling events anywhere. From gravel races to party rides, BikeIowa.com has it all, including the Core 4. On August 19th, I am planning on being there to tackle the gravel, single track, and pavement. And I'd love to see you there as well. Check it out. Are you looking for your next epic cycling adventure? We've got one for you this summer that challenges all the surface types. When the folks at Core 4 say, no surface untouched, they mean it. Champagne gravel, pavement, speedy single track, and all the level B roads. Core 4 doesn't stop at four surface types. They've got an ethos to get all bodies on bikes, and it comes through initiatives which support socioeconomic justice, gender equality, and bike advocacy. It's all about community, opportunity, recreation, and engagement at Core 4. Go early, bring the fam. They've got everything. Bikes, bevs, packet pickup party at Big Grove, live music, free camping, and finish line fun for all. Do not miss the No Surface Untouched action in Iowa City on Saturday, August 19th. 100 50 and 25 mile options. Follow along on Instagram at Core4Bike and get in the lineup. I'm also excited to head to Lincoln, Nebraska on August 25th, where Dee and I will be sailing our tandem through the gravel seas in the 75 mile version of the Gravel Worlds. Remember, you can find Core 4, Gravel Worlds, and so many more events, gravel, mountain bike, road, whatever you like, at bikeiowa.com. Thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for even more awesome bike adventures. And remember, you can find every episode and stream it on your computer or whatever your device from anywhere at biketalk.bike. Have a great week, and we'll see you on the trails.